0: Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we sing those words today, and and our our intent, Lord, is to just express to you what is true, express to you, Lord, what you have come to um, reveal to us, that we know that you are the only way for us to live our life, that you, in fact, are the embodiment of truth and you have life in yourself. So, God, we, we thank you for what you have given us in your son. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to, to just share our words of praise and adoration and affirmation of truth back to you. We pray that we, you would continue to bless our time together. We pray that you would guide us uh, in this service and in our very lives we pray that all we do, Lord, might bring you honor and glory in the name of the one who gives us life, Jesus himself. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you're here in, uh, in the room today. Welcome to each of you and to those of you watching online. We're glad that you have uh, hopped on with us as well. Uh, we hope that uh, for those of you who are a regular part of Calvary, Uh, that you uh, uh, got the email that came from our executive pastor, Dan Arbeiter, and myself yesterday, just trying to keep you updated as we, um, you know, navigate these times of of living within the pandemic. And so if you didn't check that email out, make sure that you do. If you're not receiving uh, our emails, our updates, please let us uh, know. We'd love to be able to, to stay connected with you in that way. So just drop us an email and let us know. Uh, So that you can receive those updates. Just want to make sure that you, just to emphasize that, you know, this situation uh, with, as we we, uh, monitor the metrics related to coronavirus cases and those that we have selected, that certainly it's very fast changing. Um, it, is, it is something that's very fluid, and so we, we encourage you to continue to stay connected with us through the website, through our social media, through the texting, and through your, uh, the e-announcements. And uh, make sure that you do that so that moving forward you have the information that you need, uh, need to have to navigate, you know, what we're doing in ministry. Uh, thanks so much, as, I, as we said in the, in the email, for your continued prayers for all of those involved in leadership. Uh, whether it be the elders or the ministry, sta- ministry staff, those who are in leadership at our at our school, Plymouth Christian Academy, we appreciate uh, the prayers that you continue to uh, join uh, join with us in, uh, so that we can follow God's will and as we navigate these times. So thank you uh, so much. Uh, we also want to uh, just remind you that uh, that as we go through uh, teaching times, and this morning we're going to be continuing with uh, the gospel, our study in the Gospel of John that we hope that you will use these, these times to kind of uh, uh, be a springboard for further study, for, for further reflection, for further meditation on your own. So uh, whether it's with a, with a good friend, whether it's in your life group, whether it's uh, an accountability partner or somebody in your family, we hope that you're taking these teaching times and uh, using them to deepen your study, uh, your personal study uh, of John and, and uh, the person of Jesus as we move through it. So we have uh, we we've been as moving through and moving through John we're we're in chapter five and if you remember at the start of chapter five Jesus uh, we're told was was headed to Jerusalem to attend a feast not sure which feast but he was there to attend a feast and while he was there uh, he visited a place known as Bethesda Uh, currently uh, most likely it's the location that's currently known as Saint Anne's Church there in Jerusalem and it was a place with with five porticos or porches. And two pools, and the reason that, that the, the porches were, were needed is they, they provided shade for, for hundreds of people, perhaps. Uh, disabled people, a large number of disabled people were told. People who were, le- who were blind, people who were lame, who people who were paralyzed would gather there. And there was one particular man that was, uh, was an invalid for 38 years. He was lame for 38 years and, and Jesus met him there and approached him specifically among all the people that were there and asked him if he wanted to get well. And his answer was, uh, uh, triggered a, a conversation between him and Jesus because he had this belief in a legend that had grown about these waters that as, as they would be stirred up, the belief was that it was an angel that was stirring up those waters and first one in would get healed of whatever infirmity they had. And he told Jesus that, you know, I, I don't have anybody to get me into the water. So when, it, when the waters is stirred, most likely by maybe a subterranean spring, maybe it was uh, fed with a, a water pipe. But when, when they saw that, and when he saw that, he couldn't get in. And so someone else beat him to it and, and kind of stole the, the healing. And, and Jesus said to him that uh, in, in, instead of, of uh, addressing the issue of the, of the urban legend there about the pools, Jesus just said to him to, to get up, to pick up your mat. And walk, and that's exactly what he did. Well, we find this detail from John after, when this happens that John tells us that it was on uh, that day, it was a Sabbath. And that created all sorts of interaction uh, and controversy because the man, as the, as the Jewish leaders saw him walking around carrying his, his mat, told him that basically that was illegal to be doing that on the, on the, on the Sabbath and uh and so they asked you know why he was doing that and he he told them that the guy who made me well i i he was the one who told me to to pick up my mat and and walk he didn't know who that person was uh but eventually he did find out who that person was he he was found out by jesus sought out by jesus and found in the temple and and when jesus found him he, he had an interaction with him and then at the end of that interaction the guy went back and he told those jewish leaders that hey i know who, who made me well it's this guy jesus and uh, the bible says that at that point the the jewish uh, leaders they they persecuted jesus because he was doing these things on the sabbath both the word persecuted and the word doing uh, are in the imperfect tense, which means they were continuous action, meaning the Jews continued to persecute Jesus because he continued to do these things on the Sabbath. And he responded to them in verse 17 by saying, my father is still working, and I am working also. And this is what then struck at the heart of the matter that ultimately would end in Jesus' death, and, and the reason that the, re- the, the earthly reason that he, that he was killed and you can see in verse 18, and we, we, we jumped off here last week, when we saw that it was for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, to kill Jesus. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was calling, himself, calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. This idea that he had equality with God was something that, that the Jewish leaders could, could, could not tolerate. And Jesus, instead of backing away from that, he kind of doubled down on that in, in a unique way. He said to them, and this is where, what we looked at last week when he said in verse 19, truly, truly, I say to you, in the original language, language it's amen, amen, and we say the word amen, right? Amen, that's how we pronounce it. This word is a, a word that literally means, means firm, and, it, and metaphorically it means faithful. It, it came to be used as an adverb. By which something was either asserted or confirmed. And when it was at the beginning of a discourse, it meant surely or truly. Or for some, some of you who are familiar with the King James translation, verily. And it's, an, it's, an, it's basically, it's an emphatic. And only in John's gospel do we see this double usage of it in the, in the gospels. And John does it 25 times. And when it's used in this, in this, in this repeti- re- repetitive sort of way, it's, it's to be understood that it has the force of, an, of a superlative. That Jesus is saying most assuredly, most truly, believe this, know this, listen to this. This is super important and absolutely true. And what he's, what he's talking about is, is his very equality with the Father. He's going to say what? That he has the same capability as the Father. In verse 19, which we saw last week, he said, whatever the father does, the son also does. Not only does he have the same capability as the father, but he has the same authority as the father. The father has given all the judgment to the son, Jesus says. So not only does Jesus address what can he do, what does he have the ability to do, what does he have the capacity to do, but what is he allowed to do? So he is the same as the father in capability, he is the same as the father in authority, and in fact, he is the same as the father in the father's status. So that people who honor the son uh, should, should honor the son just as they would honor the father. And of course, that honor, that veneration, that worship, that adoration that is for God alone, Jesus is saying it is right that that would come to me because I and the father are one. So that's, that's where we find ourselves in, in the story as Jesus is having this interaction, a very key aspect of his equality with God, something that John has set out to let his readers know that Jesus was the divine Son of God. One verse that we, we skipped over because it kind of connects to where we're headed today uh, in, a, in the passage that we had last week that ended in, there in verse t- uh, 23 was verse 21. Verse 21. And in verse 21, John says this, or Jesus says this, John records it of course. Jesus says, and just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wants. This is the very heart then of what we're going to look at this morning. In these next few verses as we walk down through about verse 29, we're going to see this whole thing revolving around Jesus and his relationship to life itself. And the first thing that you can see very clearly from what, from what he says here and what he's gonna say in, in verse 24, which is kind of where we pick up the passage, is that Jesus is the giver of life. Jesus gives life. Here's that phrase again, right? Amen, amen. Verily, verily. Surely, surely. Believe this. Know this. Our translation says truly, truly. The very same thing. This is one of those 25 times that John does it. Truly, truly, I say to you, Listen to this, it's super important, don't miss this. The one who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life both in what we see here and what we saw in, in, in verse 21, the verse that, that I read before that. The verbs there, and, and, and so there's, some, you know, there's some debate, is Jesus speaking here about life to come when he uses the phrase in verse 24, eternal life, or is he talking about the life that he gives now? Well, both in verse 21 and in verse 24, the verbs are in the present tense, which means Jesus is talking about his present gift of life, the life that we receive here and now. It should put us in the mind of a passage where Paul says uh, to the Corinthians that the one who is in Christ, and some of you know this, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We have new life in Christ right now. If you have received, if you have, as Jesus says in in, in, in verse uh, 21, if you have received the kind of life that he gives, then you have that now. It's not something you're waiting for. You have experienced new life now. You are walking in eternal life right now. It is your present existence. Jesus is saying to us uh, in in these words when he he talks about us having eternal life, he's telling us that he takes those who are spiritually dead, which is all of us. He takes those who are spiritually dead, whose whole horizon, whose entire existence is bounded by the affairs of this life, like snow and the coronavirus and social unrest and political divisions. He takes people who are spiritually dead, whose whole existence is bound up in all of that stuff. And and, and in fact, not only bound up, but we're kind of like we're immersed in it. It's like overwhelming to us. He takes people who are spiritually dead, and then he gives them life. He gives them eternal life. He gives them abundant life. He gives it here. He gives it now. It is what he wants for you to experience today. He wants your life to be something different today. Are we still, are we still um, in a sense, bound by some of those earthly circumstances? Absolutely. We live in this world, and there are things that affect us, right? We have Anybody here have any problems this week that they went through? Anybody here have any relational issues that you faced down this week? Anybody get any bad news this week? Well, yes, of course, that's our human existence. But in the midst of that, we can have life. That's what Jesus gives to us. This isn't some just pastor speak. This isn't what I'm saying because because this is what they pay me to say. But I'm saying this because Jesus declares it to be true. Listen to these words. Think if these words really sunk into your heart and you actually believe them. If you really did, truly, truly listen to the words of Jesus. The one who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life right here, right now. We have, in essence, in a spiritual way, we have already passed out of death and into life. You are living that life today if you've received Jesus. The next verse kind of continues it. says, truly, truly, I say to you, a time is coming. But not only is it coming, it's here now, right? That's what Jesus says. A time is coming, and even now has arrived when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. This same expression was used. Do you remember the interaction that Jesus had when the Samaritan, with the Samaritan woman back in chapter 4? In verse 23, he said to her, A time is coming and has now come. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for that's the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. That very same expression is used now here another chapter later in verse 25 when he says, this time is coming and has arrived in him. It's here, it's now. When those dead people, not not here referring, he's not referring to the general resurrection of those who are in graves. He's going to speak about that later. But here he's talking about people who are spiritually dead. When we hear the voice of the Son of God, there's a very interesting thing that John does here. Now, John, when he uses the, word, the verb that we translate into English as hear, it could be, what follows it could be, and this is a little bit of a technicality, so don't get lost in it, but it, what could follow it is, is a, a form of the accusative or a form of, of the genitive. Now, you don't know how to have to know what that, what that is, but what it means is this. Whenever he uses the gener- genitive case after the verb hear, which is what he does in this instance, it implies the, that sounds like voices are not just that I heard it and I recognize it as a sound, but instead the sound is heard with understanding and appreciation. Like when John says in chapter 10 that the sheep listen to the voice of their shepherd. They hear Many of you sitting in this room today or watching online have heard the voice of God. You have heard that invitation of new life and you've received it. Some of you have still held it off, perhaps. But for those of you who have heard it with understanding and appreciation by the power of the Holy Spirit, he has opened up your mind to receive it as truth. And what do you now have because Jesus is the giver of life? You have life. You're alive, folks. No one can take that from you. Do we still face the confines of the human existence, meaning physical death? Absolutely. But we know that even those, those of us who die physically, we cannot die spiritually. We, why? Because the life that Jesus has given us is different than the life that our parents gave us. It cannot be eliminated. It cannot be stopped. It will never end. That's why Jesus refers to it as eternal life. And it's eternal life that we're living today. So, Jesus, what a reason to worship Him today. What a reason to have hope today. What a reason to respond today because Jesus gives life. Now, there's a little principle here I can give you something if it's what? If it's mine. Like, it's not really the right thing to do to say, hey, I know Jason's got this super nice snowblower. Hey, hey, uh, uh, Paul and Emma. I think Jason wants you to have his snowblower for the winter. I can't give what's not mine, right? So Jesus better have some credentials to give life. Now we already sang, we already sang about that a little bit, didn't we? John fourteen six. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And John here in the, in the next verse is going to show us, I'm going to use the Amplified Bible so that you can kind of get the nuance of what John says in the next verse. Because not only is Jesus the giver of life, and he can only give it because he possesses it. Here's how the Amplified Bible puts verse 26. For just as the Father has life in himself and is self-existent, that's parenthetical to the text. That's what the Amplified Bible does. It kind of adds to it to, to just give us a depth of understanding. So just as the Father has life in himself and is self-existent, even so he has given to the Son to have life in himself and be self-existent. Our life is a fact. I am alive. You are alive. But that is not a necessary fact. That's not an inherent fact to what life is. Meaning this the world would have gone on without my existence. The world would have gone on without your existence. I do not have life in myself. I don't have that capacity, right? That's not who I am. Not so with God. No one gave God the gift of life. His life is a necessary life. It's impossible for God, it's impossible, impossible for the Godhead to not exist. God didn't borrow life from anyone, Augustine says. Augustine was quoted as saying this, uh, the ancient ancient, uh, scholar, he was quoted as saying this about this passage. The very life is to him his very self. See, since Jesus' relationship to life is sovereign, he is able to bestow it, to give it. Because he possesses it, because he is life, because he has life in himself. He doesn't receive it from someone else. He has life because of his identity as the son of God. And because of that, he can give it to us because he has it. If he didn't have it, we couldn't have it. That's what makes him very different, right, than us. In a physical way, that's why, right, each one of us, to a certain degree, God, I understand that, We're all, in a sense, created, and uh, we're here because of the will of God. I get that, but we're also here because of the will of our parents, right? Of our mother and our father. And what produces human physical life. They gave us life, but in a a much different way, and in a sense, you know, a a dramatically uh, more important way. God gives us eternal life. Jesus gives us eternal life because he is the possessor of life. He is life. What did Augustine say? The very life is to him his very self. He can give it because he has it. It is because he is the divine son that he can do just this. And that's exactly where he's going to take it. So Jesus, he's the giver of life because he gives and he can give it because he possesses it. The last thing that John's going to say in this particular passage is Jesus is the assessor of our life. Verse 27, look at it. And he has granted him, that is, God has granted Jesus, the Father has granted the Son, and he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. Because he is the Son of Man. It is because that Jesus is all that the Son of Man means that he is qualified to be the judge of all. I think we can certainly deduce here that, that when, when Jesus is saying this, that he has Daniel chapter 7 in mind. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Daniel has a vision, and in this vision it says, he says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there was before me like one like a son of man coming with the, cloud, come, coming with the clouds of heaven, He approached the Ancient of Days, a a, a term to use for the Father, and was led into his presence. And check it out. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, It's not so much an emphasis on his humanity, that's what some scholars would believe, but instead it's an emphasis on this idea of what it meant to be the son of man as Daniel had that vision of who that son of man was. So when Jesus is saying about himself that he is son of man, he is saying, I am the fulfillment of that which Daniel speaks of. And it is, I'm the one with the everlasting authority and dominion And and responsibility, and in fact, I have been granted that to pass judgment. I serve as the Son of Man. And by the way, in the verse uh, we had a couple of, just a a few minutes ago, verse 25, Jesus also referred to himself as the Son of God in the same way, right? That's an interesting uh, thing when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. It's not often that Jesus does that. In fact, only three times in the book of John he does it. He does it in, uh, in, in chapter 10. Uh, verse 36, he does it in chapter 11, verse 4, and he does it in chapter 5, verse 25, that we, all, we already read when we talked about people hearing the voice of the Son of God. Now, on, be on, again, that's not something that's a, that's a super re, a repeated thing in the Gospel of John, but the Jews must have taken note of it because when you go to John chapter 19, when Jesus is before Pilate, in John 9, chapter, chapter 19, the Jews say to Pilate, hey, we have a law. And anyone who breaks this law must be put to death. And the law that this guy broke is he claimed to be, guess what? The son of God. That equality with God. And so because of that that level of blasphemy, that ultimately put Jesus in that place of absorbing that uh, sentence of execution by crucifixion, which we know was already in the mind of God for the sins of humanity. So it's very clear, again, that John is doing this so that we understand that identity of Jesus in a very real and true way. Jesus goes on to to wrap up this passage and to wrap up the time that we'll spend in John today in verses 28 and 29 by saying this. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Now here he's referencing not those who are spiritually dead, but now he's talking about everyone who has existed, the entire human race, right? Those who have, who have died. He's saying all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. It's interesting, you should, you should note that when, when John uses this word for evil, it's not the usual word that's uh, oftentimes used by, by scriptural writers. It doesn't really mean evil, it actually means worthless or of no account. It's, it's almost as if John is saying those who have rejected Christ and, uh, and, and, and his, his uh, offer of eternal life, their lives then as a consequence of that are of no account. Such a harsh way to think about life, right? My life is worthless, it means nothing if I haven't heard the voice of God and believed him who sent the son. So these these ones who who are raised to the resurrection of judgment, that's 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 the difficult, sad, tragic, bad news, right? But the incredible news is that those who have done good are raised to the resurrection of life. And you might be thinking, well, now wait a second, I, I, I thought scripture taught that we're saved by grace, not by, our, by what we do. And that's absolutely true. We're saved by faith through, by, by grace through faith, and not by our good deeds. But it's clear that there is some relationship to our good deeds and how God views us in eternity. And maybe a helpful passage uh, might be from 1 Corinthians chapter, um, chapter 3. Just to read a few verses, I think this will maybe help you to see what, what God's saying here in, in, in this uh, particular passage. 1 Corinthians 3, verse, beginning in verse 10, Paul says this. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. Right? Look at that. Careful how he builds. One, the ones who have done good. The ones who have done evil. Each one should be careful how how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved because he is saved by grace through faith, correct? Well, he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames, it's clear that what John is picturing for us here is the life of the one who truly hears the voice of the Son of of God and responds to it in faith, that life will be changed. And their life will be characterized by what? By exactly what it says in verses 28 and 29. It will be characterized by those who have done good. And so it is, it does matter how we live our lives. How we live our lives doesn't save us, but it's an indication of what God has done in our lives. And so we can face uh, eternity with confidence when we know if we live into, and we lean into and live that new life, that new creation life, then the ent- that what we have to look forward to is that resurrection of life and commendation. But we also should be mindful that what we do, how we live, it will be tested and it will be tried. Even though we're saved by faith, we certainly want to take the usage of our lives, the way we go about our everyday uh, you know, existence, in a very serious manner as the followers of Jesus. But ultimately, it is, in this, as it's been in, in the entire Gospel of John, it's all about the person of Jesus. He is the one who evaluates and assesses our lives. Because he has been given the authority to do just that because he is the son of man. He is the one who is the possessor of life. He has life in himself. No one gives it to him. He doesn't borrow it from anyone else. But just as the father has life in himself, so too the son has life in himself. And because he is the one who has it, he gives it freely to us, those who believe. Death no longer holds us, sin no longer grips us, fear no longer paralyzes us, because we have life in the one who said, I am life. That's something we're celebrating today. The way we'd like to celebrate that specifically today is by remembering the gift of Jesus in the flesh and the shed blood that gives us life. So on your way into the auditorium today, if you're here in person, you should have received a cup that has a little wafer on the top and has some juice in the, in the bottom. If you're at home today, whoop, I think we lost some lights there. If you're at home today, uh, then you can, if you, and you weren't uh, aware of the fact that we were going to be doing communion, uh, you're going to have a few minutes because Emma's going to come up and lead us in, in just uh, uh, some music for a time for you to reflect uh, but you can also, at the same time, if you're, if you're at home and you, thought, and, you, and you didn't know or you forgot, just head to the kitchen and grab something that you can use as liquid and something that you can use as a reminder of his body, the bread, and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll take together. But uh, just get your cup ready and uh, take some time to reflect on what John has shared in John 5 as well as um, just the, the, the truth of Jesus being in the flesh and his shed blood. To, to give us life. So as we head into that time uh, to reflect, let me pray as Emma uh, will just uh, share some music for us. God bless our time here today as we consider this great gift of God in the flesh. Jesus as son of God, son of man. Help us God to grasp at a new way perhaps the depth of this meaning especially as it relates to the life that you give as a result of the sacrifice that you made. Turn our hearts, turn our wills, turn our entire beings toward you, God, in submission, in surrender, in discipleship, in followership. For you alone give life.